Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oui, pourquoi pas? Et pourquoi pas? Et pourquoi pas? La tentative de Willian. Et le centre de Tchernyos. Oui, la casette! Oh là 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 là! Oh la finition du français! Ah mais quel dommage, quel dommage! This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, hello to you. Hello to you. How are you doing this morning? I'm all right. I'm all right. Obviously, uh, nobody's in particularly uh, great form this morning, having witnessed what we witnessed uh, last <laughs> night at the Emirates. Um, but hey, I, I think it, it it could be could be an interesting talk, an interesting discussion, and and things that might happen from this result. Mm. I, well, I, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's sort of. For a fan, it's a horrible time to lose a game, right, on the eve of an international break Mm. Um, because it means you stew on it and, you know, you're sort of left to dwell on it. And I heard Mikel Arteta last night saying, I wish I had a game tomorrow, you know, so that I could put this right. But I actually think that in a funny way, it comes at quite a good time for a coach because there's two weeks of sort of forced introspection about it. Yeah. and you know, I think it is, it is, it is helpful to him and necessary almost to have some time to ruminate on the problems he's got with this team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's never a good time to lose, but I do think when when you're kind of slapped in the face a little bit with some issues that have been ongoing for a while, to have a couple of weeks to sit down and think and to maybe discuss with your coaching staff and you know maybe some of the players as well, um, you know about what they uh, what they feel and what he wants to do with the team. It may not be the worst thing in the world to have these two weeks off. For us, of course, we're, we're just going to have to, you know, keep fingers crossed that during the international break, nobody uh, gets up to or gets uh, into any mischief, if you like, um, yeah. uh, physically or otherwise. Uh, and we've got two long weeks to sort of dwell on, on what we've seen. But I think from a, a coach's perspective, it might be useful. So I think that's something we'll explore uh, as this discussion goes on, we we have to do the nuts and bolts, the meat and drink of the game itself, though, uh, before we can get into the wider concepts of it. So where where do you want to start with this? Um, as I wrote in the blog today, if there's a positive to be had from what happened, um, and there really aren't very many, it's that, you know, if, if the decision not to change the team from Old Trafford, uh, Trafford was predicated on, uh, you know, the players deserving their places mm. in the team, mm. by that rationale, then there are going to be changes for our next game, which can Eleven only be... Changes. Eleven changes. Eleven changes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Joe Willett's going to play every position. Now, I, 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 yeah, I mean... It's a, a, a fascinating game to analyse. I mean, the weird thing is, 
In Arsenal's last two league games, they got thumped, thrashed at home 3-0 by Aston Villa. And they went to Old Trafford and won for the first time in 400 years. Mm. And yet, weirdly, despite those two things... I think you can make a pretty good case that we sort of didn't learn a great deal about this team in either of those games, that everything that we kind of thought to be true remains true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, in the sense that when we play big games against big opposition, we're we're more competitive. I think that's what we said on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the themes that has emerged under Mikel Arteta in the nearly 12 months that he has been in charge. But I think one of the other issues that we're we're seeing um, is the fact that in games against... I don't know what way to describe teams like Aston Villa yeah, because it's I don't want hard, to, isn't I don't, it? <laughs> yeah I don't want to be in any way disrespectful because I think they deserved their win yesterday they played really well they they've got some some players who we know um can cause us problems you know so I I I don't want to say mid-table teams or lesser teams or anything like like that because I think these teams are 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 on the same level as us you know um, but but perhaps um, what's the best way of putting this? Teams that traditionally aren't considered the creme de la creme of the Premier League, if you like. Is that yeah. a reasonable way of putting it? Against teams like Villa, against teams like Leicester, against teams like Brighton, you know, uh, we have a problem. We have a problem. Mm-hmm. We've got a way of dealing with bigger opposition, which has been effective, and we've got some good results. Not all good results, but we've got problems um, in the way that we approach games against teams like this. And that, I think, is is the thing that Arteta is going to have to go away and think really, really carefully about uh, in terms of how he sets up his team and, and the, the approach that we take. Yeah, I mean, I think one way of putting it is that we fare very well in games where we're kind of almost the underdog. Um, I mean, that is how I see it, I think. And, and that these games where it's more of a, a level playing field... Mm. We are really struggling at the moment. And I think, um, you know, the team selection point is a really interesting one because Arteta picked a team for Old Trafford that that implemented that game plan that, we are, that we're referring to, that we kind of know, you know, can get you a win on the narrow margins in these, inverted commas, big games. Mm. But I think it's interesting that he stuck with that exact team and not just the personnel but pretty much the exact way of playing for a very different fixture against a very different opponent. I'm really curious as to what your thoughts are on why he would do that. Is it faith in the players that he has and the system that he has and the 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 instructions that he gives them and the way he he feels they can execute the game plan? Yeah. Or is it that he doesn't see any real difference between a Man United away and an Aston Villa at home. I mean, it can't be that surely because he must recognise that going to Old Trafford where you haven't won in 14 years is a very different thing to a game against Aston Villa at home where you are expected as Arsenal Football Club to, to I'm not going to say dominate because again, that sounds presumptuous and it's not something that we've seen a great deal from Arsenal uh, under Mikel Arteta. Mm, mm. But, but, but traditionally, the the... To win. To win. To to, <laughs> to win yeah. a game like this against a team who, you know, let's face it, just about avoided relegation last season. Now, they've done good uh, work in the transfer business. They've brought in some good players. I think, you know, we, we know from experience that they have players who can uh, perform against us. But mm-hmm. 
you know, this is a game that as Arsenal Football Club, you're expected to win. You're expected to be um, proactive in terms of how you go about um, uh, playing the game. And that, that yeah, I'm, I'm finding it hard to square that circle when you look at the team selection. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Like, does he think of it in the same way? I do think that, you know, the, the home and away sort of advantage or disadvantage has been somewhat eroded in this period. And maybe that partially explains why he's kind of sticking with the same unit in every single game. I was actually talking to Charles Watts before the match because we were saying, you know, Joe Willock's unlucky not to be on the bench mm. and things like that. And I was sort of think, saying, I, I almost feel like it feels like a physical decision. Like it almost feels like Arteta's like, I want to keep these groups as separate as possible. I don't want to overload anyone. They've not had a proper pre-season. I mean, that's pure speculation on my part, but I, I do wonder if that is in his thinking because... Yeah, it, it is a curious one. I guess my, I guess I'm settling on the idea that he just thinks this is the way he wants his team to play. It's mm. kind of difficult to reach another conclusion, isn't it? That he thinks this is the correct uh, shape for this team at this point in their evolution. Because well, he do, keeps doing it. Yeah, I mean, but do you think now, after what we saw against Villa and the the performance, the result, the way it didn't work for mm. us, the way that Villa were able to exploit? Um, our setup and our system, you know, fairly cleverly from the first minute they were able to find space in behind, which is weird. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you can, um, you can say that Villa had a very good night and we had a very bad night. And those two things can be true. They're both true, I think. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, we are a bit rigid and that is something that has been a common denominator in the questions that we've had, which we will deal with. But, mm -hmm. you know, there isn't a great deal of, variety in terms of of how we try and, no. and play the game so what i'm what i'm wondering now is will this be a kind of uh a moment when we're talking about arteta going away to reassess is this a moment where he thinks okay the problem is they're not doing what i want them to do so i've got to drill them even harder on what it is that i want or is it one of those where he steps back and takes stock and reassesses and says, well, maybe the players that I have in the system that I'm asking them to play in aren't capable of doing this, or maybe I need to do something different. Do you, you, where, where do you think this is going to go? Because the, the really optimistic part of me wants to believe that this is a kind of... Um, a watershed kind of moment for Arteta mm -hmm. in that he is still a very young, inexperienced coach. And, you know, there, there is a need to, to still acknowledge that, I think, but you've got to, um, learn from your mistakes, if you like. And part mm -hmm. of that is, is trying things differently or acknowledging that some of the things that you're trying to do or that you think are true are not working. Yeah. I, I think what's happened here is that Arteta, he only sort of went to this kind of shape after we lost the two games at the start project restart. It was City and Brighton. Prior to that, he'd always played with a back four. And then he went to Southampton, played with a back three. And gradually that system evolved into what we see now. And I think that he won four games on the bounce with it when he first implemented it. And then it saw him through the end of the season, the games against Liverpool, you know, the the, uh, the FA Cup games, City and Chelsea. Mm. And I think to an extent it's become 
his de facto system. I think it's become a bit of a crutch, almost like a safety blanket. And I think, uh, you know, he's he's leaning on it unduly necessary at, necessarily at this point. I right. think I think he needs to move away from it. But I think that, you know, it has sort of almost by accident become the way this team plays. And his, um, I'm surprised, actually, I have to say, by his unwillingness to sometimes divert away from plan A. I mean, even in the starting lineup against Aston Villa, while I accept it was successful against Manchester United, I did expect maybe a couple of changes. I mean, the ones I would have looked at were potentially Pepe on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. I thought there was a very good chance, actually, that David Luiz would play the game because I thought he was pretty good in midweek and he was pretty good against Leicester. And I thought he might play. Mm. Um, no criticism of Rob Holding, but I just thought there's another dimension to the play potentially with Luiz. Um, and do you know what? Even in central midfield, as good as El Elneny and Party were uh, at Old Trafford, I wondered if it might be a game of something different just because the challenge the the, the challenge in front of us mm. is so different so in that respect i was a bit surprised by the starting 11 and by the fact that poor old joe willock who we're going to keep talking up as if he's pele but you know he did not even make the bench i found that really odd particularly when you had in in the match day squad uh elneny Parte, Shaka, and Ceballos. Yeah. And you've got Maitland-Niles who can cover that position as well. To me, that's overkill at that point. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that occurs to me is there is perhaps a, a reluctance to introduce variety. Um, and I think Willock is an example of that, right? Because mm-hmm. you could easily have done without one of Shaka or Ceballos or Maitland-Niles, uh, who I know offers some... Uh, defensive cover as well. Obviously, uh, there is that element to having Ainsley on the bench. But but even when it comes to substitutions, we didn't do anything with our substitutes that um, caused the opposition any kind of rethink. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I absolutely understood taking off Willian and Lacazette because they were both dreadful. I thought they were both really poor, and we're going to get into, I suppose, individual performances as well as a collective one. So you put Pepe and um, Inkedia on, but it's like for like, right? And I know that we were hampered a little bit because we lost Partey at halftime because of the, the thigh injury. Yeah. Um, but there is perhaps a tendency not to adjust the team too much. And one of the times that he did it recently was the Sheffield United game. You know, where he introduced variety into the tactical changes, the substitutions, Aubameyang went central, and we turned around and we won that game. Yeah, I thought he might do something as bold as that at half-time because it was clearly Mm. a game that was sort of getting away from Arsenal. I mean, I I do think the story, and and it's, you know, it's what we're talking about here, is Arsenal's problems going forward. I thought at the back, they were really bad against Aston Villa. But I do think that that's relatively unusual in this Arteta team. I think that's the sort of element of the performance last night that was, you know, when when Arteta says we weren't at the races, our concentration wasn't there, we were sloppy. I think you can apply that to the defence and say, well, in fairness, that's not really what we've been seeing from them recently. I think the reason that the attack has to be the focus of the conversation is because that is what we've been seeing. You know what I mean? For most of this season. Yeah. 
Um, you know, Arteta was talking before the game about, uh, not for the first time in recent weeks, about our need to score more goals. And he said to yeah, become... Yeah. So to he be- knows. Yeah, yeah, to become a top team, you have to score 90 or 100 goals to be competing with the top guns. It's a challenge for us and it's an area that we have to improve and do better. Yet the mm. approach for a game like this was similar to what we saw when we went to Old Trafford, where the plan, I, I think, was, and it worked, to nick a win, right? Was to yeah, go yeah, and, yeah. Keep and it very tight. keep it tight, that- nick a goal, you know, shut up shop, and go home happy with a big win away from home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I think that is exactly yeah. what Arteta has almost tried to do in every game. If you look at it, really, if you look at the amount of shots each side has, if you look at the comparative XG of each team, mm. that's how we play. We play to keep it tight and nick it. And as Arteta himself says, that's not something that's sustainable for big success in the long term. You know, that is a, that is a well, it's a mark of a mid-table team. And that is what we are. I mean, look at our form, mm. look at our results. But, you know, it's not what we should be aspiring to I I was struck you know Liverpool have lost Virgil van Dijk right they've lost their best defensive player and they've what they've not done is think okay well we'll put a third centre back in to try and cover for it yeah they're playing a fourth attacker (laughs) (laughs) they're playing Jota Firmino Salah and Mane now look I know they're a very different side but I do feel to an extent that the way we have been playing has become a bit of a crutch and that at some point, hopefully this point, we have to discard it. Well, I hope so. It it, it, it demands a rethink. It absolutely demands a rethink and um, I'm sure there are layers of this that we're going to get into and I do have some, some thoughts on this yeah. a bit later on. But let's just to, go on. Just sorry. quickly though, I, I don't know if you wrote this this morning because I've only flipped through it, but... You sent me a text last night about a moment this reminded you of, and I thought it's an interesting one. So, yeah, I'd be good for you to repeat that for the listeners, if you remember what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was talking about the, was it the Wenger, um, the defeat to Blackburn pretty early on in in Arsene Wenger's time at the club. I think it was his second season. 97, I think. 97, and we'd been beaten 3-1 at home by Blackburn. And look, very different circumstances. Um, There was a, a... a much stronger senior element at the club, I think, because it was basically Mm. the back four. And they were talking about getting more protection from uh, the midfielders, from Vieira and Petit. And obviously that, uh, that, that was sorted out. And we went on then to win the, the double. Uh, And I realize it's different, but I do feel like there are times when, you know, a manager needs to listen to his players you know, to get their insight and, you know, the idea that a, a team meeting, if only we had Theo Walcott in the squad, he'd come out and tell us about the team meeting that, that they just had and everything was going to be great until the next time we lost, which is usually the next game. But, you know, it, you know that it feels like that kind of a moment where... So you should ask Messer what he should do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, like, the... Um, you're right, that team, that 97-98 team obviously had that really solid core experienced professionals. Mm. I, I don't know if those characters, to the same extent, are in this Arsenal dressing room, but... No, they're not, but, you know... It- I, 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 yeah, I agree with you in that... I think I said this last night, but Arsenal looked like a, 
a team kind of playing to their coach's idea, whereas Aston Villa looked like a team playing to their strengths, their mm. talent. Um, and I really do think that. I mean, I think it's funny, you know, Aston Villa come to the Emirates Stadium and they can give you a footballing lesson, but I think they can in some ways. If you look at the way in which they have kind of harnessed you know, the attacking abilities of Grealish, Barkley, and the way they've kind of freed those players to play in combination. I mean, it was kind of one of the galling things about this game that we had to watch a team doing some of the things that we don't do, you know? Yeah, for sure. And players who I think are allowed play with a little more freedom than ours are at this moment yeah. in time. Yeah, I, I mean, it's easy to say, let's buy Jack Grealish, but I think it's interesting to ask... Would Jack Grealish have the freedom he needs in this system? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Sure. I think that's a perfectly perfectly reasonable question. Let's get into some of the bits and uh, pieces from the game itself. Sure. Um, and I think there are wider things that we can explore after that. But early on, of course, we we, we were 1-0 uh, down very briefly um, until VAR ruled out McGinn's goal. I mean, that was a worrying goal to concede that early in a game. I mean, caught yeah. cold, absolutely caught cold. And, and, I, and I, I think that was in Arsenal all night, to be honest, mm. that kind of sloppiness. Yeah. And we saw it in the first 60 seconds. It should have been a wake-up call. It wasn't. I mean, you, you know, we lost a goal, didn't we, in similar circumstances against Leicester. So I guess it's consistent. But I did feel a bit for Villa. I mean, Bern Leno can have all the view he likes of He's that. still he not getting anywhere near no. Um, yeah, so look, a let off. Emmy Martinez would save it, of, of course. Of course, yeah, yeah. Just stick, <laughs> stick out one big paw he'd have got there, you know. Um, it was always going to be his night. We should have known, really. It's well, ludicrous I mean, that we expected anything else. We were talking about this, weren't we, on, on WhatsApp before the game. It was like, oh, we're just going to, you know, how are we going to deal with the Emmy Martinez masterclass? He didn't really have a save to make. I was expecting no. one of those games, ugh, maybe that's just... Um, shows where my mindset is. I thought it was going to be one of those games. Remember that game against Fulham years ago when van der Sar, was it van der Sar? Yeah. yeah, I think it was Edwin van der Sar made about 25 saves in the game. Mm. We just absolutely mm. battered them. Um, so it was, you know, maybe a bit foolish of me to think that we were going to do that. But it just felt like, well, Emi Martinez is going to come and he's going to make save after save after save. And he was really pretty untroubled you know when Villa had like a corner late on I was thinking I mean if you're Emmy Martinez you might as well go up for this it's, <laughs> it's your night anyway just go up and attempt a bicycle kick it's probably going in the top oh corner oh my god but yeah I mean uh, a bit of sod's law there but yeah we were really lucky to get away with that early on and you know I thought right that could be a bit of a wake-up call but it wasn't and, and we continued to be Really, really sloppy in possession. Yeah, but, 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 but we did have, I think, a really good chance. Um, Which one? Willian. I've not seen a replay of that. From where I, so, so from where I saw that, that was not an easy one to hit. The second half one, I thought, was a better chance. But you tell me, because I've not seen a replay. Um, let me just bring it up here again but I, I watched it again this morning and I thought it was a very presentable chance I'm just sort of fast forwarding the one that you've skies like over the bar yeah miles over the bar let's um, have a look Aubameyang down the left here he good is pick out actually yeah who was it party I think uh, and boom, a good cross boom. from Oba 
I'm sorry. He, that's terrible. That's terrible. For a I guy think, of his experience, I think that's really bad. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm probably alone in this, but I think that's not as easy as it looks. By the time he hits it, it's nearly at his waist. You know what I mean? Like, I think if I think they look worse than they are. Like, if he makes the contact with the ball slightly differently, mm-hmm. it doesn't balloon over. I think the one he had in the second half, the left-footed the, one. Yeah, I think that's a, a better chance, personally. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'd be interested to see what XG would score that. You know, but I think. Um, I think his, for me, his his most uh, infuriating contribution was still to come. You mean when he gave the ball away, <laughs> yeah. which led to their goal? Yeah. I mean, this because, is... Yeah, go I, on. I, well, no, I just think the defence of Willian is, is technical security, isn't it? Mm. And, and all I could think watching that was, I feel like if Pepe did that, he'd never play for Arsenal again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if Pepe did that and then sort of ambled back and wandered around in the general vicinity of the ball while Villa passed it around and ultimately found the pass to the back post, I know Willian wasn't alone there, but I was like, you know, there was no desire, no desire to try and make up for the mistake. Um, You know, Pepe would be on a a plane back to Lille or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, That does seem like real... I mean, if Willian kind of starts the next game, I do think at that point that feels a bit like double standards. I genuinely do. I mean, I, that is incredibly sloppy. I think he was he was like that all night. Mm. And I agree that he sort of looks unhurried off the ball. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's like he's herring back. And then, I actually texted my on. brother, yeah. who has watched Willian play many, many times, and and rates him. And I was like, he was watching the game. And I was like what's going on here? Like, what do you, is Willian, is there something that he had at Chelsea that he doesn't have here? Like, is there a player he played off? Did, was it, you know, did they have a target man? He was, you know, combining with, he was like, no, no, no. Everything is set up in such a way that he, he ought to be able to play. He was like, he's just not, he's just playing badly. And I think yeah, that's the reality of it. Yeah. And I think he's played badly all season. Um, I think he had a good game on the opening day against Fulham and since then has been verging between average and bad and i think one of the one of the issues that i have is that there is um you know what what you refer to as off the ball work is just bad it's really poor you know this is a guy who knows what it takes to do it at premier league level he's won the premier league you know he mm-hmm. knows um even when you're playing, again, you know, a team like Villa, when you're playing the smaller teams, so-called smaller teams, you know, you will get punished if you switch off. And if you're not on it for 90 minutes, it only takes a second at this level, you know, for, for you to be exposed. And not for the first time this season, his off-the-ball work, his defending, his tracking of his man uh, has been really bad. I think it's the kind of performance that requires him uh, to win his place back by playing in the Europa League. I know he played in the Europa League the other night, but he played like a guy who just couldn't be arsed. It was mm-hmm. like, well, this is, I'm 32, fuck this. Fuck this. I think Tim Stillman said something quite interesting um, on the Arsenal Vision podcast. He said that, you know, in the Europa League game, David Luiz played like a guy who did not want to play in the next Europa League game. 
because he yeah, wants to yeah. play in the Premier League, and Willian just coasted through it. I mean, it's beginning to look like a really, really bad deal. I said to you before the game, this guy needs a big performance tonight. He needs, well, at least a solid performance, a solid contribution. And this was potentially his worst game in an Arsenal shirt. Yeah, I think it's been really disappointing. I mean, anyone who... I think the only justification people could find for signing William was the idea that as an experienced Premier League player, he would hit the ground running. Yeah. Uh, and I think that actually was a reasonable expectation. You know, I, I do think if you look at his performances for Chelsea last season and think if we could directly port that into this Arsenal team, I don't think that was a ludicrous, you know, idea no, no. that that could work. But he is way, 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 way short of that yeah. at the moment. And uh, yeah, whether it's form or, or something mentally, or I don't know, but I agree with you at this point, you know, he, he probably needs to to sit down mm. and, and have someone else take that position in the team. I mean, another thing about William, by the way, is that when we signed him, one of the real things that I was like, oh, well, you know, that's a positive set piece delivery. But we haven't seen that at all no. from him. No. And we're even playing these slightly odd set pieces. Last night we did a lot of sort of corner routines to like guys on the edge of the box to yeah. take a shot. And I was sort of like, well, we've brought a bloke in who's supposed to be able to, you know, deliver a, a good ball from wide and we're not doing it. It, it, it just feels like an odd one. And, I, you know, I, I, have, I have no reason to believe this at all, but it does feel slightly like Arteta has hung his hat on that signing a bit in a funny way like, yeah, yeah. because it, it was expensive and it was a big deal and the club were criticised. It feels like there's a real desire to make it work and give him every single opportunity. But I'm not sure we, well, I'm, I am sure we're not getting the rewards. At the no, no, absolutely not. He doesn't deserve to be in the team. He needs to sit it out and somebody else needs to be given a go. And maybe that's a discussion that we can have um, mm. in a bit. Another player, who I think needs to sit it out now is Alexandra Lacazette. That was mm. a, a glorious chance, you know. Brilliant cross. Yeah. Brilliant cross from Tierney. He saw it all the way. The header was terrible. It's a really bad miss. That should be on target. It should be in the back of the net. The only the only way it shouldn't be a goal is if Emmy Martinez makes an absolute world-class save because from that distance and with that, uh, trajectory on the ball with that pace on the ball all it needed was for him to to get that on target and it's pretty much a goal so well yeah I mean it's interesting he, he's he been playing like he's got lead in his boots and I, and my brother actually texted me about this and says he, he doesn't get off the ground at all for that header and I know he doesn't have to because the ball sort of drops on his mm. head but in doing that it means that he sort of hits it with the top of his head like mm. if he attacked it it's a goal but he doesn't really attack it. And another point about the way we go forward, by the way, is that... So, so this is a huge moment in the game for me because it is a golden chance. And as we know... Just when before half-time, yeah. Yeah, when you're a team that plays with these fine margins, which unfortunately is what we are at the moment, these chances mean a lot. You know, they are big. And it, it's telling that in every single game at the moment, we fixate on one or two really big chances. Part of that is... Lacazette's in bad form he's not taking them another aspect of it is we don't create enough yeah but but, but a lot of these chances it seems to me <clears throat> are from crosses mm. and quite a lot of them are headers and any statistician will tell you 
you know, a header is invariably a, a, a worse chance than it looks. They're invariably quite low XG. And, and I do wonder, you know, when we think about the way this team attacks, the type of football we play, you know, one of the, the strengths, even in recent weeks, has been, OK, well, now we're getting Tierney forward. He's swinging in crosses from the left. But I'm not sure either Lacazette or Aubameyang are the guys who I want to be, like, jumping for a header. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not even their strengths. We're, so, we're, we're playing to the strengths of Olivier Giroud. We, we literally are. I mean, I, I found myself yesterday thinking, Giroud would be good in this system. <laughs> he would as well. I, I really did. Um Mm. He, he, you know, he's. We've got a question actually later about you know about former players that we miss, but he's the one that jumps out. I mean, and and that's there's something not right about that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it it, it it's it's easy, uh, and I think it's fair to criticise individuals um, who are underperforming, and I think Willian is underperforming. Um, you know, particularly in the context of his arrival and all the aspects, you know yeah, that yeah. that. Uh, surround him. Lacazette is also underperforming. There's no question about that. I think he's a player we should have tried really hard to move on and replace uh, during the summer, but we didn't. Um, We we have to find a different solution now, I think, going forward, and I'm going to ask you about that now in a minute. But also, we have to acknowledge that within the system that we're playing, and what some of these players are being asked to do, like obviously Lacazette is not being asked to head over from fucking eight yards, but he is being asked to play in a way which, um, you know, I, I don't think really plays to the strengths that he has or used to have or might have had, right? Yeah. So I think there's 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 there are individuals who are not performing, but we come back to the system, we come back to the approach, and we come back to how we're trying to play, how we're trying to create, how we're trying to... Um, make opportunities for our for our forward players and that i think is where the 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 other element of this is i think arteta has got to reconsider personnel but he's also mm-hmm. got to consider the system and the Definitely. way that yeah. the way that the team are set up so let me ask you this i think a couple of weeks ago we had a discussion about obamiang Mm. playing as a centre forward and we differed on it slightly um, I, I was much more in favour of it and you were saying that within the system that we play would it be a panacea for all our problems mm-hmm. you know I don't think it would be but now I cannot help James but think that part of what we need to do is simplify things make things less complicated acknowledge that we have a world class centre forward who is being wasted on the left and we know he can score from there. We know that. But if we're talking about recalibration of our system and recalibration of the way that we play our tactical approach to games, do you think that using him as the centre forward basically forces us to play in a different way? Because what Arteta wants from Lacazette in this system um, isn't what you should ask from Aubameyang when he's playing no. as a centre-forward. So is that part of this uh, rethink, if you like, the, this fictional rethink that we're all hoping he will have? Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we can talk about it because I think, I think basically, if you play Aubameyang in the role Lacazette is doing now, obviously that will be a bit of a disaster, right? But if you want Aubameyang to be your central striker, then I think you have to kind of start from that. Mm. and develop and build the balance around it. 
You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Which, given that you've given the guy, I don't know, a 300 grand a week contract for the next three years, uh, building around him is not the worst idea I've ever heard. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, basically my opinion is actually still the same in that I don't think it will be a panacea. Like if Arteta doesn't change his other ideas and he just picks Aubameyang at centre forward, I think we'll have similar problems. He might score some of the chances, like I said, misses, but I think we'll have similar problems. I do think to make it work, you kind of have to rebuild the team. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that is probably where we are. I'm not saying as well, by the way, that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. I do think that this approach we have for big games is not something we should set fire to or chuck away or forget about. We can return to that at any point when it's appropriate. But I think, as we were saying at the top of the show, the problem is the fact that it's become the approach for every game. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, why um, do away with something that is effective? You know, you go to Old Trafford, you win. You've won the FA Cup playing in a certain way. You've taken on big opposition. You've won those games playing in a Mm -hmm. certain way. That's great. You know, it's good to have found... um, uh, I'm not going to say a solution, but it's good that we are more competitive in games that for seasons now we have not been competitive in at all, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. That is a good thing. I think you're right, though, that the issue isn't – we shouldn't just, like, um, throw it to wherever – what's the word I'm looking for here? Just fucking chuck it out. There's no need to do that. Keep that, but then find a way to play in the other games, which is – more effective right yeah or give yourself the opportunity to change that even within a game mm-hmm. do you know what i mean I and mean, we're talking about how you know the, the tactics feel a bit stale i mean that is the thing i don't think anyone can say it never worked what we're doing now it did because it caught people by surprise it was unexpected people weren't wise to what abemiang was doing from the left uh, i think what we were doing in the wing back and fullback areas felt very innovative and crucially, it was different to anything Arsenal had really produced in some time. It was so much more structured and disciplined. But it's been six months or whatever it's been. And teams, I think, are wise to it at this point. Mm. And that's what happens, you know. And I think the advantage, the competitive advantage it did give us has been eroded, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and that's what requires a step, a change from the manager. And I And I thought... You know, we've reached kind of half time in the chronology of the game. I thought we might see a bit of a step or change then. And I was a bit disappointed, really, that we didn't. Well, I mean, obviously, the, the substitution of Partey was yeah, forced yeah. because of the injury. I, I saw Sabayas coming on and I was like, oh, who's going off here now? Which which one of the the players is going off? And obviously, it was, you know, it was uh, the injury that, that caused that change. Mm, mm. I thought they were doing the board in the tunnel and I, w- I was sure I saw Rob Holding's number come up. And I was like, oh, that's in- I think I almost texted saying, oh, I think it's Rob Holding. And I thought, that's interesting. You know, that's definitely going to change the shape. I wonder what we're going to do. 16 blah, blah, blah. versus 18, I guess. Yeah, just Whatever exactly. way the light was shining, yeah. So it was, uh, as it turned out, it was obviously... Partey and he was injured and that was a real blow you know I think he was I think I think he was one of the better players I guess in the first half from an Arsenal perspective mm-hmm. uh, he is one of the better players in the team probably so that was a real blow but, but I mean I agree with you that in the first 45 minutes I don't think either Lacazette or Willian 
had done a great deal to, to justify staying on the pitch, especially in the case of Lacazette, where you kind of know, well, in about 10 minutes, his race is going to be run anyway. Yeah, yeah. But what do you do there? I mean, do you, you know, I suppose you could put Pepe on for Lacazette. Yeah, I was thinking that, I was thinking, I, I thought Sabios would come on. I was thinking Sabios and Pepe are probably the, the players mm. that you would get on here. Um and, and look, Pepe did get on. Uh, when did, was it about the hour mark when, when he actually came on? Yeah, there thereabouts. I think maybe sixty sixty odd minutes. I'll have a look at the live blog here, and it'll yeah, it'll tell me when things were happening. And I thought actually, in the first couple of minutes after those two came on, there was a little bit more. Well, I agree. Pepe did more in his first sixty five minutes. Yeah, in his first five ten minutes, you know, he flashed. I think a, a shot wide across across the box, and I was like, "Well, there's a glimmer of end product here." You know? Yeah, there was a shot, and I think there was a a, a nice pass from Bellerin through to Enkedia, who turned out to be offside. But you know, mm-hmm. there was a bit of something there, and then of course we 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 switch off for their um for their goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when was uh, this is the going? one which is the is it the Douglas Louise long pass and then nice touch from Ross Barkley across to the centre forward. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, go on. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that the performance of Ollie Watkins I thought was a really interesting comparison, wasn't yeah. it, with Lacazette? You know, the the energy, the movement, um, every aspect of his game on the night was really impressive, and it just gave them a, a dimension in attack that we didn't have. A couple of weeks ago, I think myself and Lewis did a uh, Lewis Ambrose did a podcast for the the Patreon, the Tactics podcast, and we talked about players um, causing the opposition problems, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Watkins caused our defence all kind of problems, as did mm-hmm. Barkley, as did Grealish, you know, and we just did not have those players in the team. We had two players who, in Willian and Lacazette, were probably just the easiest. Uh, time that the Villa defenders will have had to to deal with, you know. I know there was well, a, the, the Lacazette chance, but but you know, the physical side of football is so important. Um, yeah. And when you're when you're look, Willian is thirty two, so he's never he's not going to be a, a ninety minute sprinting around the place player. Um, that's something you must know when you sign him. Lacazette has never been a ninety minute player, and Lacazette looks leggier and slower and sluggish than he ever has done, you know? So you're kind of at a, a physical disadvantage um, when you're playing two guys like that who are playing the way they are. Definitely, definitely. And Watkins's mobility, you know, made a massive mm. made a massive difference to Villa. And one of the things you think about this Arsenal attack, I mean, we've all spotted the five channels that they play in, but Arsenal at times very literally kind of stay in their lane. You know, mm. and it, it just it leads to a, a degree of predictability. Um, I mean, I, I talked about this last night as well, but Mikel Arteta is going to hate it when crowds come back into stadiums. Um, yeah, <laughs> I look. I, yeah, I thought maybe we could k- keep that discussion for the second part of the show, but we're we're here and we might as well do it. You know, I saw your tweet about how he is basically 
micromanaging the players from the touchline. And that's something mm-hmm. that we've been kind of, in some ways, enamored of. You know, yeah. look at how, look at the way he's doing it, look at the way he's coaching players through the game. And when it works, it's great. But now we have a whole pile of questions from people about, you know, whether this is a problem, whether the, the structures are too rigid and all that. But I'll come back to that. But I think one of the other things that struck me about the absence of fans is that when we go back to this idea of Mikel Arteta seeing what he saw from his team and then thinking, oh shit, I I really need to have a, a serious think about this and the way things are going. This is not, um, this is not like a one-off, right? In terms of like the level of performance and how bad it was, it kind of is a bit of a one-off, you know, in, in just how poor we were. But it's not as if those issues haven't been present in previous no, games. I, I, so I think I, it's a one-off on the defensive side, but not on the attack. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, if fans were in the stadium, this is something that would have been building you know, the reaction to aspects of our game. Like when we move the ball forward and then check back and go backwards and there isn't enough thrust and there isn't enough incision in how we're playing. When 60,000 people are frustrated by that, that's something that transmits itself from the stands to the players, to the manager, who may still very much believe in what he wants to do, right? But he can't ignore the reaction of the fans. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, will it have had an effect on his thinking more quickly if there had been disgruntlement from the fans? Um, and I'm not saying it's like booing or anything like that, but, you know, you get the reaction. It feeds into how you feel about the game. But there's literally nothing, no kind of feedback He's not on social media, so he's not, like, reading Twitter to find out what people are thinking. It's not that he's not analysing the games, but he's analysing it from within a very quiet bubble with his coaching staff. And I do wonder if fans had been in the stadium for all this time, whether the the cautiousness would be quite as pronounced as it is. So I think it's really difficult because I I do think that fans are a big ingredient in a game. And I I think almost all our home games would have a sort of wildly different sort of orchestration with fans there. You know, I don't know if Aston Villa, for example, produce the performance they do in an empty Emirates stadium. I I just think it does change the dynamic. Look at the home and away results, right? Fans Mm. make a difference, clearly. I also think that fans don't always know best. And I say that as a fan. I mean, how many times have I been at the Emirates Stadium and the fans want Granite Shaka to shoot from 40 yards out or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know? Fans don't always know best. And and we, I think Arsenal have also benefited from that sense of calm. I think that some of the defensive improvements, some of the improvements in playing out from the back Mm -hmm. may not have been possible in that environment. But certainly, you know, if I think back to the Unai Emery era, and granted, I think there's more uh, patience and goodwill towards Mikel Arteta. I do think that, you know, there would be frustration, undoubtedly. Um, Mm. That's the way it goes. Whether that would change Arteta's thinking, 
I don't know. He strikes me as a very uh, stubborn man. <laughs> sure. Look, I think he's. I think you're right. He's methodical and he believes in what he's doing. But when you get feedback, visceral feedback on what your team is producing, and when there's a complete absence of that, I just wonder: does it? Does it? You know? Do you? Is he missing something? Like, we're missing something as fans not being there, and the team is missing something well, as fans. And we've talked about, like, how we haven't been able to share in these these brilliant moments, like winning the Cup and, and turning the end of last season into something hugely positive. But I'm mm. wondering if, as a manager, he is also missing something that could be really important for him in terms of his learning and what he's doing in, you know, the first stages of yeah. his managerial career. Maybe. I mean, you know, I say fans aren't always right. They're also not always wrong. And I think, uh, you know, there is something to be said for that. I also think that um, it's something for the players, you know, undoubtedly there's a, an adrenaline to playing in front of fans like that. And something I've really noticed about this Arsenal team is that we don't, in the second half, we never sort of turn the screw. It never feels like mm. pressure mounts. And maybe this is romanticism on my part, but I do feel that like so often when that happens, the crowd is almost part of that, that they kind of play their role in dictating the tempo. There's a sort of reciprocal relationship sure. between team and supporters. Maybe it feels like things never reach that kind of temperature. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I know exactly what you mean. I think, I think this is um, ultimately it's detrimental to the game on all kinds of levels, you know, financial and everything else. But I just think in terms of how, how games play out, um, like I was watching the game on Premier Sports last night. I didn't have to do the pay-per-view thing. So mm. it was on Premier Sports here over in Ireland. And it was um, the fake crowd noise again. Mm. And it was just trying to, trying to separate that from what I was seeing. You know, because the sounds of what I was seeing weren't what they I was, was experiencing. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, but the reason I said what I said about Arteta's going to hate it when crowds come in is because, like I say, he does this kind of micromanagement, you know. And I, who knows if the players are listening when he says, give it to him, give it to him, move here, move there. Who knows? But one thing is for sure, when that stadium is full, that will not work. Like... Mm he will have to let go con control in to that degree. He cannot, you cannot audibly coach your team through 90 minutes in a full Premier League stadium. Yeah. It is impossible. So, so what he's doing is not sustainable. Do you see what I mean? Like yeah, even yeah, yeah. if it was working at some point, you have to trust the players and I do feel like that's kind of the difference between Arsenal and Aston Villa last night that there was a lot of faith and trust placed in some of their attacking players and maybe not the same extent to Arsenal's mm, okay um, so yeah we, so we, so the second goal they score blah 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 they score again very quickly didn't they bad defending you know on the second goal we didn't close them down quickly enough I don't think Kinkedia did enough at the back post to stop Barkley and Watkins bad, bad defending you know all the goals on the yeah. first goal even you know we got our offside trap all kinds of wrong Villa were playing mm. so slow and yet we didn't read it at all mm. um, so look we, we made them look good too but uh, but you know they were they were ruthless and they took their opportunities. Mm. 
I don't know what more we can say about the game itself. No, I mean, I, I don't either, really. I mean, it, I, I suppose it's only worth saying there wasn't a great deal... Like I say, we never really built that momentum. I mean, there were, like, like little chances here and there, Rob Holding. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, um, sort of left foot. I mean, yeah. that's that's... I mean... There are a couple of things that, when you think back on them, tell you a lot about the Arsenal performance. One is that Gabriel created a chance for Rob Holding um, when there was fuck all going on in the attacking end of the pitch by players perhaps more um, capable of doing that kind of a thing. And the best individual moment from an Arsenal perspective was, um, if not Kieran Tierney's cross, it was Danny Ceballos making a brilliant clearance off the line. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, a, a brilliant piece of play from him. I mean, I saw, you know, I know people have different degrees of faith in things like XG models, but I saw that it finished 1.4 to Arsenal to 1.9 to Aston Villa, which suggests the gulf wasn't quite as wide as it felt in the moment. It certainly felt wide to me. But I also think it means that I think we are right as well to look at moments like that Lacazette chance and, and think... You know, given that we're not a team that creates enough opportunities, it's so essential that we're clinical when we get them. And that we create more. Yeah, well, obviously that we create more. (laughs) That's a big, big issue. But just before we go into the break, um, do you feel like maybe the, the players know we don't create a great deal? So when the chances come, there's more pressure. Is that unreasonable or is that just kind of making excuses because Lacazette should score from eight yards out. Yeah, I kind of think he should just score. I I don't know if... I mean, clearly, he's out of form, right? And that can have its... You know, form is a very real thing for strikers. You know, I think form waxes and wanes and he's in a a bad place at the moment. But I don't think you can place too much emphasis on the pressure element. I still think you've got to do better there. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the same probably applies to William with his chances. Uh, yeah, but I do think that um, it's a tricky one. You can really fixate on those opportunities, but then I think you also have to ask the question of why are you doing that? And the answer is because there are so few. Mm. Okay, look, let's take a break. There is more to get into, I think, in part two um, when we will answer some of the questions that people have sent to us. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. Um, Yeah, that's it. We'll be right back. That was terrible. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, lots of very similar sounding questions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to go first on one? And yeah. I'll see if I can find one with a, an element of variety. Uh, so this is from Clark and Well Gooner, who's at Rational Arsenal, and they ask which factor is contributing the most to our struggles in the attacking department: Arteta being shackled by the players at his disposal, or the players being shackled by Arteta's system. The second one. Well. Do you want to explain that? I think that we were not set up in a way which makes me think we're prioritizing the attack. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I think I think what he's struggling with is he's the first thing he wanted to do when he came in was make the team more solid. Yeah. I feel like he's finding it hard to get rid of that or to shake that off a little bit. And I understand it to an extent. I think what he's trying to do is make the team or maintain the solidity defensively in that, you know, we don't, uh, concede the same amount of chances that we used to, etc., etc., and find a way of making the team more attacking while maintaining that. And I think he's going to have to let go very slightly of some of that defensive solidity. And I think that's a bit scary. Do you think he's... So, because I can kind of put myself in his shoes and think maybe he's worried that if he kind of takes the handbrake off, Arsenal will uh, lose the defensive strength they've had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might score a couple of big defeats and suddenly it feels like everything you've built is gone. Yeah, look, I can see why he would be cautious about it. I can see why he, he would prefer to maintain the defensive solidity and add attacking potency. Mm. Like, Mm. that would be the ideal, wouldn't it? But that's maybe a little bit down the line. That's maybe when you've been in the job for a bit longer and you've had more transfer windows and you've been able to build a squad which is better able to do both those things. But I think when you're a team that that struggles to create chances... I mean, he said something... I was watching his interview with the the official website, uh, with Arsenal.com, after the game, and he was talking about he was obviously really, really pissed off, and it was um, it was quite apparent how angry he was about things. But he was talking about 
you know, the various aspects of the game and not creating enough chances and being defensively poor. And he just called it a terrible combination of things, you know. But he has to find a way to make the attack better. And if that comes at the expense of some of the defensive solidity, I think that's probably a trade-off we need to make at this point. I think he also needs to get more out of his best players, his best individuals. And this is why I come back to Aubameyang in the centre. It's why I would uh, give Pepe a run of games. Because I think he's a he's a flawed player. He's not the player perhaps we thought we were getting. We've overpaid for him and all of those things. But when it comes right down to it, he can produce. He can make assists. He can score goals. He can, at times, do things that other players in the team can't do. He gives us that variety. He gives us that... Um, he's someone who can cause defenders problems. Mm-hmm. particularly when he gets into central areas. And I think that's an aspect of the Pepe discussion that that's interesting. So I think he's going to have to have a, a think about it. Is it time? Is yeah. it time to do away with the back three, back five? Is it time to go to a, to a back four, proper back four, a four, three, three, perhaps, or a four, one, two, three, something like that, you know, on a consistent basis. Well, I've got a question about that in a moment, but I'm just thinking it's interesting because I agree with you, but I can I can definitely see Arteta's conundrum as well. Like I can see that he thinks I've put these foundations in place and I would much rather keep that and build the attack on top of it than do something which destabilises what I've built so far. I'm not saying that's right, but I can definitely understand it. And I think the mistake Unai Emery made, because he actually did sort of do a a similar thing at the start as under Ateta, if I recall correctly, in that he heavily reduced the freedom in Arsenal's game, but also as the opponent's game. He applied quite a lot of structure and the amount of sort of shots and excitement in games massively came down. Mm. And when he turned the pedal in another you know put the foot down on the pedal or or swung the balance in the other direction it all absolutely went to shit now that doesn't mean that would happen again and that's down to Arteta but I can see why he might think do you know what it might take me a year to get this team to attack but if if it does and it means I get to keep the defensive side then by god I'm gonna do it that way I just don't think we can do what he wants to do when he talks about scoring 90 or 100 goals to be up there with the top teams. I don't think you can do it in the system that he's using. Really? Even if you've got a different centre forward, a different centre midfielder, a different winger? Well, I mean, I think if you've got a different centre forward, you're playing in a slightly different system, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I mean um, when I talk about Aubameyang. I, I think... I think, look, if you had better players, you could probably do more. But we don't have that right now. We have to find a solution with the players that we have. There's no know, other I, way I of that. doing it, you know? So oh, I, I think but, it's, it's the balance thing, right? It is. I, I, I see completely where you're coming from. 
And if I were him, I would probably be cautious as well. But I, I, I feel like there's only so long you can be hit over the head with a hammer before you move out of the way of the fucking hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And, and he doesn't like losing games either. I mean, it, but but I just wonder if... Yeah, I don't know. I, basically, what I'm saying is I understand his caution, even though it is costing us and it is costing us at the moment. But if there's... He, he has... That's his challenge, really. I mean, one of the things I was really interested about Arteta is that when it came to the summer, and this is something that hasn't really been talked about, he he appointed a load of new coaches and I found it fascinating that he went for junior people. Like, I just wondered if he might add a more senior voice to the guys he's already got. And I found it really telling that he was like, no, I'm going to bring in guys who are essentially kids in coaching terms. That's, yeah. We had a question, I think it was on the Discord, from DJ Nolan. He says, does Arteta need to take a hard look at his coaching staff? We have a set piece coach, but have gone backwards there. He says, uh, Leno has developed weak wrist punch syndrome, which hasn't been addressed. And the front three look clueless as to what they're doing. Is it all on Arteta's structure or is his vision being fluffed by his support group? Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, he does have experienced coaches. He's got Albert Steibenberg. He's got Steve Round there. Um, you know, who are senior coaches who've, who've uh, got plenty of experience. Um, of course, Steibenberg is off to uh, manage uh, Gareth Bale into the ground yeah, for Wales. Into the ground, yeah. please. Yeah. Good, uh, good stuff. Uh, all part of the big, you know, Arsenal conspiracy theory dreamt up with the Welsh FA. But, um, you know, uh, maybe there is an element of that. Maybe the, the coaches that he has are sort of grounding him or or tethering him with the advice that they're giving him maybe they're saying look we can't we can't do this we can't do that you've got to do it this way otherwise blah 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 well i I also think what do we know about arteta so far we know he's big on structure we know what are the key words we use about him patterns of play Mm. and i think that he i think he is fearful that's a strong word. I think he's he's wary of being able to build new patterns quickly. Mm. But I think I think he's going to have to. I mean, it, you know, the, the problem with the international break is you lose a load of players as well. I mm. mean, slightly less than in the old days at Arsenal. But yeah, I, I, it's a it is a really interesting one. I mean, what I was going to ask you, and we haven't I, don't, I haven't seen this question specifically, but it's pretty much what everyone's asking anyway. How would you, if you were saying, I've got to rebuild this attack? I know we've had similar conversations before, but right now, if you had to rebuild it, how would you do it? I would play with a back four. Mm -hmm. I would play with a midfield three. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would play Aubameyang at centre forward. I would play Pepe from the right. I would play... Bakayo Saka from the left. I would think very strongly about um, using Reese Nelson a bit more. I would think uh, very strongly about what Gabriel Martinelli can bring to the team when he returns from injury. I know that's some way down the line. You know, I think... And what would your midfield three be? Party. I think it would depend on the opposition, to be honest. Yeah. But I would, 
I would consider a role for someone like Joe Willock. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I'm not saying he is the greatest player of all time, but I think when you're when you're struggling to cause the opposition problems from an attacking perspective, having someone like him, in the same mm-hmm. way that, you know, Aaron Ramsey used to cause the opposition problems with the timing of his movement into the box, you know, even if he doesn't get on the end of things, he takes players with him. It creates space, which you can use, you know, and what we have at the moment is this very rigid, very structured setup where players don't really move around a great deal. Maybe Aubameyang does, but nobody else really does, you know? So it's very difficult to to cause the opposition problems in that regard. So you're talking about Partey plus, you know, an Elneny, like you said in the early, uh, in the first part, you know, I think our, our, our setup and our approach in, in the big games, particularly away from home, is is set. You know, we have mm-hmm. found a way to be more competitive in those games. So there's not much you need to do to change there. But I think when you're at home and when the onus is on you to take the game to the opposition and to be a threat and to cause them uh, hassle and problems and to make them think about what it is that they're having to do in a game instead of just like you can you can coast through a game as a defender at the moment you can coast through a game against Arsenal because you know what's going to happen and there's no variety to it and who are the players in this squad who can provide a little bit of spark a little bit of inspiration I I, I fully accept that our options are imperfect for various reasons but I would rather see Nicolas Pepe lose the ball X amount of times, but still end the game with a goal and an assist than see Willian keep the ball more often than not, but give it away at a crucial time and we still concede a goal. You know that, you know that way? I just think yeah. that, that there has to be... I think he's got to trust in some of the more... Maverick is not quite the right word, but to trust more in what those players can bring us from an attacking perspective and realise that perhaps in someone like Partey, and if you can use a midfield like Partey and Elneny, I know it didn't really work yesterday, but you do have the ability to, pr- to protect that back four better than you did. Yeah, yeah. I think I would be inclined to have a similar shape. So I think I agree with you. I would have two deeper midfield players, Partey plus one. I'm not massively wedded to one of Shaka, Ceballos or Elneny, to be honest with you. I think they have, you know, I think the difference between them isn't isn't that enormous at times. Mm. Um, I think ahead of that, yeah, Pepe from the right for sure for me, Aubameyang central, Saka left probably. But I think that what what that system cries out for to me is you know, a more advanced midfield player, someone who can offer you a linking position, you mm. know, ability to maybe carry the ball, maybe receive it in under pressure, you know, because those are things that Aubameyang in the central areas isn't probably going to give you quite as much. So I think Willock is an option. I also think Bukayo Saka could be really good in that position, actually. Uh, it, it raises a question of what you do from the left, and maybe that's solved a bit if Martinelli gets fit again. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the idea of Saka in behind, off the front man. I think he could play very well there. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that Arteta has um, been reluctant 
to use Aubameyang centrally, or maybe it's not one of the reasons, but one of the things he said about using Aubameyang yeah. centrally is that a really important part of that is having players who can deliver the ball to him in the areas in which he's dangerous, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think his link-up play is better than people give him credit for. It's not the strongest part of his game, but the idea that he can't like receive the ball with his back to goal and make a pass and make a run and bring others sure, into play, yeah. I think is absolutely absurd. It's like a complete falsehood. He can do it. It's just not the thing that he's best at. What he's best at is moving into the box and scoring goals. And where I find some encouragement is the fact that towards the end of last season himself and Pepe uh, combined there were moments where Pepe created goals for Aubameyang and I think uh, Saka and Aubameyang can um, can combine too we've seen that you know over the last 12 months that they have shown signs of a partnership and I just Mm. I just feel like you're never gonna know what these guys can produce unless you give them a couple of games or a couple of games, but give them some consistency in terms of team selection. Because we've done <laughs> yeah. it with the others. We've done it with Lacazette. We've done it with, with Willian. It ain't working. So no. now what? Can I do my crazy suggestion that won't happen? Yeah. Actually, shout out to Perry K on Twitter, who also suggested it. It's something I've been sort of secretly thinking and thinking, am I going to say this on a podcast? Okay, or do I want here we go. To, to live with this? No, I, I, if I think about Aubameyang and his best performances for Arsenal, I, I actually believe, and my memory may play tricks on me, but I think his best performances for Arsenal came in a front two. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the possibility of getting him in a pair. Okay. And it doesn't have to be with Lacazette. You've got other options there. Okay, but I, I I look at this Arsenal team and and I, I know it's not a fashionable formation, but I do think there is a possibility of a, like a four four two shape that could be quite good. So you'd have your Partey and whoever next to him. You'd have Saka as your left midfielder who can kind of do it all from that position. On the right hand side, I'm not sure yet. Maybe you've got Reese Nelson or something because I think I think even you can play Aubameyang and Pepe. As a pair. I was going to ask you, would you consider Pepe as somebody who could play in, in the centre? And I think Aubameyang's great when you get people near him. I think it makes defenders, you know, it enables him to elude them more. It gives them more to think about. And I think, you know, there was that period where we played three five two under Emery where Aubameyang was a red hot. I think his XG was highest in a front two than it is in any of his uses at Arsenal. And I, I mean, to be honest, I even think it could... Uh, breathe some life into Lacazette because I think he's a second striker. He's a guy who looks better with a partner. Mm. I don't think it will happen, but it's an idea. Well, in the you absence know, of anything else, and in the, and in the absence of you know an obvious sort of number ten, you know, with the exception of the guys not registered. I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think that Arteta will at least explore these ideas. You know. Not, not because he's listening. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. But, I don't think he'll be like, oh, James, actually, Steve and Albert, uh, James made a good point on the Outcast Extra. Yeah, let's so. try a 4-4-2. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, of course not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, he has to. He has to. No, I'm not saying he has to do what you're saying, but he has to do something. 
What about um, this question? Okay. From the different knock at diff knock. Uh, and they say, hello, gents. At what point do we begin to worry about Aubameyang? Open play goals have completely dried up. He looked tired to me. Is this just a symptom of bad team performance or is there something more pernicious? He looked absolutely miserable yesterday, mm. didn't he? There was a moment where midway through the second half, the camera cut to him and it was raining and he looked bedraggled and he looked pissed off and he looked like a man who just wasn't enjoying his football. And I think, you know, when you're a striker and you don't score, that's obviously a weight on your mind. You don't enjoy yourself when you don't score and you're a striker. Um, how many? Does he get a pass? Do you know what I mean? Does because he get he's a not- pass? Well, I mean, I think he had no shots yesterday. Is that right? Yeah. He's not the kind of player who is going to beat three men. He's not Alexis Sanchez, is he? No. He's not going to just keep knocking and knocking on the door until something opens up for him. He's a guy who relies on service. He relies on delivery. He relies on being given the ball in areas in which he's dangerous. And that can be right across that front three, you know? Mm. It's not simply a case that he can only do it from central areas. We've seen him score lots of goals from the left-hand side. But he didn't get any of the ball yesterday. No. I mean, you know, the, the one time he came forward was the, the chance that he created for Willian. Yeah, I can barely remember. Well, the one we talked about early on, you know, but apart from that, you know, he didn't he didn't get uh sight of goal. Wasn't at it all. his cross for Willian again on the on the on, in the second half when he was it? with his left foot. I think Aubameyang had gone down the right. They briefly swapped at that point. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, <clears throat> the funny thing is him him not getting the ball is not in itself a concern. Do you know what I mean? Like in theory, he doesn't need the ball like in possession. He needs to be on the end of stuff. And that's what we're worried about. I think that I, I I think he does get a bit of a pass, to be honest with you, because he's not getting service. But I do think it is worth sort of highlighting and mentioning that we've put our money, we've put our investment in a player who mm-hmm. isn't a guy who just produces magic out of nothing. Often he has done it, but it's not his game. He mm-hmm. is a guy who relies on service. Um, Therefore, if you're not serving him, mm-hmm. you are losing money. I mean, someone like Alexis, you know, you can sort of bang him in any team, apart from Manchester United, it seems, and there's a chance he'll make something happen. That isn't what we've got in Aubameyang. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And we it have was, to adapt to that. It was a, uh, an Aubameyang cross from the right-hand side. Yeah. I, you know, I feel sad watching him putting crosses for gimps like Willian to slash at. Mm. Yeah. Is it time? Can we be worried? Yeah. I mean, of course you can be worried. Um, we have to be worried. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's probably the team's fault. Yeah, yeah, but- I think it is. But like, um, uh, what was I going to say there? I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Well, you I know, mean, he hasn't what we spent our money on. Yeah, so. but he hasn't, he hasn't like, forgotten how to score goals. And he hasn't fallen off like a, a, 
the metaphorical physical cliff in four weeks or six weeks or whatever it is, right? Because it was only a short time ago when we were all delighted he was signing because he'd been scoring lots of goals. He was exciting and, you know, uh, fun to watch and all of those things. So I think he is a victim of the system, which is why I think the system needs the rethink that it needs. Yeah, the system should be geared to provide him with service. And at a certain point that was working, it's now not at all. Mm. And that means we need to... You know, open up the gearbox. Um, let me have a look here. Um, I'm doing that thing again where I don't have my glasses. Metof, Metaferso on the Discord says, Arteta isn't completely blameless from yesterday and this season's lack of creativity, but is our failure over the years to adequately replace the likes of Ramsey, Alexis, Cazorla, Wilshire, and Ozil. Um, <laughs> costing us even poor players like Mkhitaryan and Awobi at least linked the midfield and attack yeah I mean we talked about Olivier Giroud didn't we uh, mm. as a player that we sort of bizarrely found ourselves missing in the game and I think you know there are countless others I mean some of those names mentioned Arsenal used to be very well stocked with you know, there's a time we would have probably turned up our nose at Ross Barkley and Jack Grealish and thought, no, thank you. No, 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 no. Speak for yourself. I've always wanted, always fancied a little bit of uh, Jack Grealish. Can't yeah. say, you know, Ross Barkley is somebody I've ever pined over, but Grealish, gimme, gimme. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do think, look, clearly we had the question, is it sort of Arteta's system or is it the players? And I think... It, it is a little from column A, a little from column B. I mean, we are missing a type. Meza Ozil is the mm. closest to that type we have in the squad, but there are lots of reasons that he isn't playing. You know, it's sort of almost a pointless conversation at this point because we can't bring him back in. So, yeah. you know, they know there's a player missing. They tried to sign one in the summer. They didn't get him. Um, and, and we could desperately do with that. But... Is it a failure of the squad? I do think what we've done is we've we've not added enough players of certain types. I mean, people who carry the ball or in short supply in this squad feels like it's Pepe and Saka really, and yeah. to an extent Bellerin. But um, so that's been an issue. But I, I, yeah, I do think the system is part of it. I mean, I, I don't think these are bad players. You know what I mean? I'm I, not convinced they're worse players than Aston Villa's players for the most part. You know, I think they're they should be capable of more and better. Yeah, you know, yeah. on a, on a consistent basis. So, uh, here's a couple of these. I'll give you two of these. Um, Stephen, who's at Mister Steglass mm. on Twitter, says, "Is what Arteta is is what Arteta is trying to do counterintuitive? Teams are beginning to realize we're a blunt attacking force, becoming more ambitious and direct as a result." And Rafi Schreiber, who's at Rafi Schreiber 14, says, is it possible that because Arteta's barks can now be heard by the players, he's more reticent to make substitutions as he feels like he can influence the game from his his box or his technical area? It feels like he isn't quick to turn to the bench. I mean, we touched on that, didn't we? The idea of control and how he's going to have to learn to let go of that, whatever happens. Um is he is he slow to turn to the bench? Uh, maybe. Like I said, I wanted him to be a bit more dramatic with his change at half-time, but mm. an injury kind of impeded his efforts there a little bit, so I have a, a small amount of sympathy. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have made a change at all. Um, 
in which case I would have been pretty worried. Mm. Uh, what was the first part, first question again? The first one is, like, is his approach counterintuitive in that teams know that we're not great from an attacking perspective, therefore they can feel emboldened themselves? Yeah, maybe. But then all these things are related. So if they feel mm. emboldened, that theoretically should provide us with more opportunity to exploit, you know, in mm. defence. And it... it it's difficult to unpick the sort of chicken and egg of that. And I think that Arteta would say, we have to focus on our performance and we have to focus on what we're doing. Um, And, you know, I think he would be right. I think that's what Arsenal need to do. They need to think about what they're actually trying to do and, and, you know, be proactive uh, in that instance. Mm. Um, On car, red car on Twitter, that, who's at the Boy 49 says your thoughts on how we should be less reliant on Saka. He is a super talent, but Arteta should be using him more wisely. And then he adds also where the heck has Ainsley Maitland-Niles gone? Um, Do you worry about Saka? I mean, I, he got kicked to death last night from what I could see, and it's happening more and more. Do I worry about him? I suppose it's just a consequence of him being a good player and you can't on one hand say, I want the team to be more creative and and then advocate the removal of one of our more <laughs> creative players. Um, you know, somebody who's got probably more assists um, over the last while than anybody else, maybe? I don't know what the... the... Uh, yeah, he's just ahead of Pepe, I yeah. think. So... I get that he's young. I get that there's going to be some inconsistency with him, but I don't really worry about that. I mean, I just want to see him maybe in a slightly different position, you know? Mm. Um, And I I think one of the... uh, Somebody else... uh, Let me see if I can find it here. It it occurred... I noticed it as well. Uh, Vince Ives on uh, Twitter, at Vince Ives said, the number of good runs Saka made in behind last night that were were ignored blew my mind. So frustrating. And I think that was something I noticed a couple of times as well, that he does have this movement and this desire to get in behind. And the final pass wasn't there. There was one from Elneny, I think. And there was another one from Tierney who could have mm. played him down there. Um, you know, I think he is the kind of player who can make things happen when he does get in behind I just don't know if we're giving him the service that that he needs. But, you know, if we're talking about making this team more attacking, but also talking about leaving Saka out, who do you bring in? Who Who's well, going to replace him? Yeah, I think that's very difficult. I think that's very difficult. And I think, ideally, I think there would be slightly less burden on him. Mm. Um, but that's only really a situation we can resolve in the transfer market. I think you're right with the players we have available we're sort of obliged to pick him. Mm. Um, but there we go. Yeah, it's... Um, when you look at the, the fixtures, when we come back, we've got Leeds away, Wolves at home, Tottenham away. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I know there's no... there's not a lot no of easy, easy games yeah. in this league. I was just going to say, there's no easy games. No. But that's a... There really aren't. That's, and it's... It, yeah. That's I think that's how it's going to feel pretty much all season, by the way. I mean, I, I quite like this question from Sharif on Twitter, who mm. said, as it will be a pod of doom, I'll ask something positive. Are you looking forward to seeing Arteta fix this? 
And then he says it's easy to doubt, but he has shown he can create new plans with the same players, leading to the cup wins, etc. Yeah, I'm. This is goes back to what I said right at the very start. Like, if there is some optimism for me, it's that this is so obviously wrong uh, or in need of fixing that he's going to have to do something. Like, I think if yes. we if we'd you know taken a 1-0 last night, we wouldn't see much change. You know, if we'd won 1-0, everyone's happy with the result, if not necessarily the performance. I think, is it a slap in the face moment? Maybe it is. Sometimes you need a short, sharp shock. You know, and it's also worth remembering in the doom of this morning and how miserable we feel and rightly so, and reasonably so, given the way Arsenal played uh, last night. This time last week, we were very happy because we'd, mm. we'd won a big game, you know? Um, there's still a lot of work to do, and I know that we can sort of swing from one extreme to the other in terms of how we're feeling about things and what the potential is. But I, yeah, I am kind of looking forward to seeing what he does. Because I think he is here for, um, you know, there's a lot of faith in him at the club. I, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think it's really premature to start talking about sacking a manager um, after 12 months, particularly if um, you've been looking for a manager to come in and sort out some of the things that he has sorted out, right? Mm. I think we'd have to be in a relegation fight, to be honest, for the board, for the owners to sack him. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it is the 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 archetypal. It's going to take time to fix this, but we're going to lose our shit after every single game and every single result, one way or the other. Either too much positivity or too much negativity. Right. Yeah. So I think that's just a consequence of the world that we're living in and the way that football is being experienced at this moment. And I'm not telling anybody that they're wrong to feel the way that they feel. That is just the reality of what we are going to have to deal with as fans, as people who talk about the game. And, you know, for Mikel Arteta and for every football manager, it is going to be the same kind of thing, you know. So I yeah. am I am hopeful um, because I liked what's the phrase that people kept using direction of travel i think that was something that um was brought up uh more than once i'm hopeful that he can implement some positive changes based on the reality check that we got against aston villa yeah and and, and to an extent by the way i do think some of this is inevitable i saw this tweet from berg where you said it took Arsene almost a decade to become the manager that took over Arsenal. He said, you pay for young players with points. We are paying for Mikel with points. And I think that's probably true. I think we are watching a manager learn some lessons. Mm. Um, but that is the kind of, that's the ride Arsenal have hitched themselves to. You know, they've appointed Arteta. They knew exactly his level of experience. They knew what they were getting. There are going to be bumps. But mm. the last time... Arsenal lost 3-0 at home, as far as I'm aware, was the game where Mikel Arteta came with Manchester City and sat on the touchline mm. and watched a team absolutely beset with problems. And what was incredibly impressive when he came into the job and swapped dugouts was how many of those problems 
he seemed to fix with relatively small changes, you know, and, and careers were revived and fortunes changed. And he, he did show himself to be a problem solver in that moment. He found a way for a, a seemingly broken team to function. Mm. And here we are after another 3-0 defeat. <clears throat> and, you know, Mikel needs to go back to his drawing board. Yeah. But I don't doubt that if he brings a fresh approach to it, you know, relatively, I, I don't doubt he can find solutions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm hopeful of. That's what I'm mm. hopeful of. Like, you, you, you're going to have these moments which are uh, important in your career as a coach and as a manager. And it's, you know, do you double down and say, no, the thing that's not working will work if we just keep doing this? Or do you reassess? And that's yeah, yeah. where I'm going to be very curious to see what kind of approach we take for a game against Leeds away from home. Obviously, there's this um, the Bielsa element of this as well, which is very interesting. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be is going to be very interesting to see what he does. But I hope he can have a positive impact on the team, um, and that some of the lessons that have been applied to us in recent times will be learned. You know, so. Mm-hmm. So there you go. We shall see. We shall see. But look, we better leave it there for today because I've got to get the podcast out. Um, uh, You know, people need to share in the doom and everything else. But hopefully we provided a slight silver lining, a little uh, chink of light towards the end of it. Um, We've got two weeks to wait for our next game. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know what else to say now at this point. You know, who knows? Enjoy the international break, everybody. I'm yes. sure it'll be great fun. It will be. Thomas Partey won't be going away with Ghana because of his injury. So that's, um, on one hand, good news, but it depends how long he's going to be out for. We'll have to wait and see. But look, we'll discuss all that on the site, on the blog, on the podcast, and everything else. In the meantime, thank you as ever for being here. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 